You're listening to the best of the Sergio Show on 710-KURV. Here's Sergio. Bill Dendy, CPA, North Texas. How are you, buddy? Man, I'm doing great. It is tax season. People waking up because it's April, and taxes are due sometime in April. And uh, a lot of folks are just now starting to think about getting that job done or Final those extensions. 10-4. Hey, before I ask you about that, I think they call it employee retention credit, uh, something I know managers are, especially listening to talk radio, they got bombarded with this employee retention credit and make sure that you file, make sure you get the benefit. That Okay. I need to ask you about filing uh, married versus uh, together versus filing married and separately. Um I'll give you an, just anecdotally. I know through a friend uh, an example of a married couple, and because this person told me, "Hey, look, check this out. Look at this search. This person, this couple, could have received uh, up to almost ten thousand dollars in a refund versus closer to five thousand dollars in a refund." Because the, the, the 10000 would have been married filing separately. The 5000 would have been married filing jointly right now. Why is there such a wide chasm between these, these two filings? And, number two, if you, ferried, if, you, if you filed married jointly the previous year and you file married separate this year, will that trigger an audit from the IRS? What would you say? Bill Dendy, CPA. Well, the issue is that most taxpayers who are married are going to probably be better off filing jointly. There are a few exceptions to the rule, and it's the tax code was set to make it almost the same tax-wise either way. Now, changing probably doesn't make a difference, but the problem comes into play when people say, well, if you did separately and one person does standard deduction, the other one takes the itemized, you put all the itemized on one side and standards on the others, you end up getting more of a refund. Yet, both of you have to choose the same way to do your deductions if you're doing the uh, itemized versus the standard. Hmm, and so okay. I've, I've seen people make that mistake thinking, oh, well, if I can pick and cherry pick the, where I do my deductions, uh, I, I can actually get ahead if I do this separately. But it's not the case uh, it's a it's a misinterpretation oftentimes that uh that it would be way cool and we'd have a lot more people talking about how do you sure. cherry pick those deductions and how do you put all uh have the uh standard on one side and all the items on the other uh, on the other side but uh, uh we can't do that as far as it uh triggering a, an audit uh probably not the biggest trigger unless you have something weird like that where you uh have one person uh claiming uh, the the standard the other one claiming the uh, uh, yeah the uh, itemized versus the but, standard yeah and that will trigger are, that will red flag that, that will show there are up some of, things you okay. can't get okay you can't get some things if you file uh, separately uh, there are certain benefits and credits that you have to file a joint return mm. that you aren't able to do if you do a separate return uh, because uh, the, the the bottom line I think is too hard for the IRS to to to, to monitor some of these things. So generally, you have more benefits if you file jointly than filing separately. Uh, when should you file separately? Well, oftentimes, I uh, see that done when you don't have any knowledge of your uh, spouse's um, uh, finances. 
and that happens during periods of separation, maybe separated but not legally divorced, or if you have a spouse that's involved in uh, tax evasion or criminal activities and you want to make sure you're staying as separate as possible, um, we, we'll have people do a uh, married filing separately. Mm-hmm. But generally, the best benefits are going to be married filing <laughs> jointly. Thanks. I can just hear audio from that trial. I, Your Honor, I told him he should be paying on time. I, I just the testimony from from the wife. Uh, Bill Dendy, CPA, North Texas, joining me right now. Okay, this employee retention credit is all in the commercials for the past several What What is that? Because I thought companies, many of these companies had already tapped payroll protection, that all the funds in there. So do um, PP, payroll protection companies, are they excluded from this employee retention credit that was all in these commercials for the past several weeks? They're not excluded for it, from it. Uh, and there are eligible employees that uh, are employers that um, would be able to take the credit. They have to show that they uh, sustained a full or partial suspension of operations uh, during COVID-19. Okay. And that they experienced a significant decline in gross receipts during the uh, 2020 or decline in receipts during the first three quarters of 2021. Uh, if they can show that and they main, and they kept paying their employees, uh, they may be uh, eligible for the credit. Yet this is an area that the IRS is concerned about uh, abuse because this thing has been aggressively marketed and not everybody that uh, uh, is applying for the credit can show the uh, prerequisites for receiving the credit. And the enforcement, um, we haven't had such credits in the past. Uh, uh, the, you know, COVID-19 had a lot of special rules created and uh, special stimulus checks going out, and this is one of those uh, special protections for employers that maintained uh, a workforce in spite of having uh, ma- uh, reductions in uh, uh, revenues. And so it was available to help out, but uh, uh, unfortunately it uh, provided a avenue for abuse, and the IRS is aware of the abuse. I don't know how aggressively they're going to be able to pursue it, but uh, it is concerning when the IRS themselves say that they're concerned about the abuse they're seeing in this area, and you keep hearing about the aggressive marketing. Yeah, that's not to say you shouldn't take advantage of it if you're entitled to it. Who's marketing uh, this, would, Bill? I'm sorry to interrupt you. Who is marketing this? Is this are these like tax preparers that are offering businesses a chance to file, and they'll make sure that they they file through this employer re- retention credit and and maybe get some money back that they shouldn't be getting back? Or who, who's marketing this? Uh, oftentimes, it'll be tax preparers or uh, just those who uh, are uh, able to exploit uh, an advantage of information. And we see this often with tax credits, especially uh, for refundable tax credits that would uh, uh, be applicable uh, to those uh, who are lower income earners. Uh, Lower income earners oftentimes don't file their tax returns because they don't have taxable income but we'll have a refundable credit, which means even if you don't owe tax, you can get some money back. Uh, and there there will be those who will show them how to take the uh, uh, child tax credit for a piece of what they're um, receiving. And a person who doesn't know how the rules work, who are uh, unfamiliar or uncomfortable with filing to the IRS, uh, may be willing to pay for the advice on how to get money. So if they're eligible for $1,200 that they didn't 
know they were entitled to anyway, they may be happy to give up two or three hundred dollars for somebody to show them how to do it. It's unfortunate because the information is available, and uh, a lot of these refundable credits are not that difficult uh, to, to to walk through the process of obtaining. And those in the business of providing the information will argue that they're providing a needed service, that people are paying for the service. Uh, they would not have gotten the credits any other way. And by advertising and showing people how to okay. uh, take advantage of that, they're All actually right. doing a net good for the consumer. But there are others that are saying that they're exploiting those who just don't have the information. Uh, I think you can have listeners that will come down on either side of that argument. Um, I just would like listeners to know that it's an area that if you're tempted to participate in, but you know you're not eligible for it, uh, that the IRS is aware that this is being exploited, and you probably are going to come up higher on the uh, probability for an audit going forward. Bill Dandy, CPA, North Texas. It's tax preparation time, people, if you haven't done it already. It's April, and it looks like the deadline this this year will be April 18th since they have uh, April a- April 18th. April 15th falls on a Saturday. And then Monday, some other type of uh, obscure holiday, something like that. And the IRS Emancipation gets, Day. There we in go. In Washington, D.C. In Washington, D.C. And, and if we're taking yeah. Washington, D.C. off, well, there's no, no government <laughs> office is going to open. So, and, and, uh, we, so we get Monday the 17th off, too. So there we go. We don't have to do it until the 18th of April. And it doesn't mean you have to have done all the work. You need to just at least have your free extension done by then. And what I mean by free is that you still have to pay your taxes due, but you don't have to even have an excuse. You just have to ask for it, and they give you up until uh, mid-October to get your taxes done. Uh, That's a nice benefit to have, but any payments due have to be in by the 18th. And if you don't know exactly what you owe, but you think it might be a little bit, go ahead and send the money on in so you don't have those failure to file and failure to pay penalties. Uh, the failure to file penalty, no need to have that. Uh, it's, it's a free extension. You just have to request it. And failure to pay, if you don't have time to do the taxes, but you do have the funds, send some money in. We're not earning that much in interest still. And uh, get the money back when you finally do your taxes. Um, but even if you can't pay, definitely get the extension uh, so that you don't have the failure to file penalty. And quickly, Bill, in just a minute, any scam uh, that's popular for 2023 to watch out for as we get ready to file? A tax season always brings out the scammers, and a uh, few of those are the the phishing scams where you'll get notifications. The IRS this year needs oh, to verify right. your information. Yeah, the email. And people yeah. hear the IRS, and yeah. they get excited. And they're, they're like, oh, my gosh, this is the first year I've ever e-filed, and the IRS is calling me and saying there's a problem. Must be true. But so many people are e-filing now uh, as a course of action. A lot of people are doing it for the first time or they uh, are not 100% comfortable with the process that when they get a phone call saying that uh, the IRS has received your tax return uh, through e-filing, unfortunately, the data had corrupted. Some of the data was corrupted. <laughs> yeah, uh, we need you to sure. confirm with us uh, <laughs> your, your data. And the scanner is good. Once you make the phone call out, you're talking to an expert pulling out information from you. So they will uh, uh, say things in such a way that you think they must be yeah. the IRS. They don't they call. They certainly know what they're right, doing. Right, Bill? They never and call. Right, you, Bill? You should be suspicious. That's right. I was going to say, you should be suspicious as soon as you get that much service 
come down to IRS about no. your refund. It's going to yeah. come out late. Uh, it's just not the way they do it. And they also do scare tactics. The refund is the newer one where they're trying to call people and say, you got your money coming due, but we need the information to get it to you. The old scare tactic no. was they leave a, uh, they, they call you and tell you the constable's coming to arrest you because of your IRS oh, yes. failure to pay. Yeah. I, and you wouldn't believe the number of people who are scared of the IRS yeah, who no, might I, owe money yeah. who will pay cash to the guy at the door. My goodness. So don't fall for either side of that. Uh, don't get greedy with refunds, and uh, don't be fearful because the IRS right. does not send the people to your door on the first notice to arrest you for not paying taxes. But do they call, Bill? I, I remember hearing reports. IRS doesn't call you to collect. That's true, right? That's not their first. That you're going to get a letter first. Yeah. All right. Uh, you, uh, you will not get a phone call for that. Yeah. All right. That's not the, that's not the way they operate. Yeah. I got one of those calls. I'm at my mom's place when my mom was still with us. She got one of those calls, and, and I pranked and punked the guy as much as I could. <laughs> what doesn't help is that they call with a foreign accent, <laughs> and you know they're. Uh, they're scammers. All right. Thank you, Bill. Bill Dendy, CPA from North Texas Tax Season. The filing deadline is April 18th, Tuesday, April 18th. This is The Sergio Show. You're always on the go. Obviously pretty busy. Busy with work. Picking up my kids from school. From work to kids to running errands, your entire day is a hands-on, never-ending frenzy of activity. Luckily, getting the news is now voice activated. Just say, Alexa, play 710-KURB. I'd like to know what's going on in my world. I gotta know what's going on in my city. Putting the smart in your smart speaker. I'm getting my news from you and my information. For the latest news and to find out what's happening in rich, clear audio. Just say, Alexa, play 710 KURB. You're listening to the best of the Sergio Show. Here's Sergio. So, what do you drink? What do you eat when you hit the wall midday? You're just exhausted. You need to shut down. You need to take a nap, but you can't stop. You're at work. You're. Standing up, you got to keep going. Your boss won't let you take a nap. What do you eat? What do you drink? Coffee, some sugary drink. You ever heard of a of a coffee nap? This is the first time I hear about it. So I'm calling in Dr. Harvey Castro. He's author of the new book, Chat, GPT, and Healthcare. Now, I understand if you were to take a nap and then drink some coffee, well, that makes sense. But no, this is drinking coffee. And then taking a nap. So explain the reasoning behind that, Dr. Harvey. Yeah, it's really interesting. The first time I came across this myself, I thought this was odd. So think of it this way. As the day progresses, we all accumulate this chemical called adenosine. And basically, this idea of taking a nap and coffee does it the following. By taking a nap, it clears out this adenosine that makes you go to sleep, and that takes care of that. And then the caffeine goes into the receptors in your brain that actually stimulate you and then simultaneously avoid production of this adenosine. And so the way this ideally works would be ideally to take black coffee, take it in the afternoon, and then followed by a quick 20 to 30-minute nap. You don't want to oversleep. And believe it or not, there have been multiple studies that show that you actually feel refreshed, you're more alert, 
and they can clinically correlate those that are doing this versus those that are not as far as their performance after taking this power. Down. All right. Again, what's the name of that sleep chemical coursing through my veins when I hit the wall? What is it? it it's called adenosine. Ad- adenosine. It's natural aden- adenosine, yes, okay. sir. So what happens in the body when I take a 15, 20-minute nap? What happens in the body that helps burn this adenosine? What, what's going on that eventually when I burn it off, then the caffeine can kick in and give me more energy? Yeah, so this chemical naturally just produces throughout the day. And that's why we get so sleepy at night because it's accumulated so much that the only way of clearing this chemical is literally to go to sleep. Okay. And so this nap is kind of just taking part of that level down. Um, and caffeine stops producing that adenosine. So it okay. kind of puts a stop but, on it. But yeah. how do we burn it off, though, when we sleep? Uh, what, what's going on? Does, does the brain burn it yeah. while, while dreaming or what? How do, how do you burn it off? Yeah, your body basically burns it off when you sleep. Your body creates this chemical reaction where the adenosine just literally starts burning off. Wow, that's that's pretty cool. And that a human yeah. body, man's biology, it's just amazing how these things work. Have you tried it? Uh, do you do you normally take a nap midday or you have to reset your batteries? Uh, once in a blue moon, I do, uh, and I do use this. Uh, I can confess, as an ER doctor, I'm working nights, weekends, holidays, and hmm. that ah. just really puts a hamper on this. And yeah. so this coffee nap works, especially when I want to spend time with family, and I know I'm, I've gotten off a night shift, so that way I can take a quick power nap, take some caffeine with it, and I honestly do feel refreshed. <laughs> you know, first thing I was thinking when you are explaining all this, when I've been at the hospital before taking care of family, whether it was my parents or kids or whatever, it's the middle of the night, it's two o'clock in the morning, and man, you just you're desperate because it's so, those chairs are just so uncomfortable, you know, in the guest rooms or where the mm-hmm. hospital. And, and I say, hey, look at that bed right next to my kid, or right, or look at the other room that's empty right now. Oh, oh, how I wish I go go in there and sleep. Do you guys take advantage of those empty beds and those extra rooms and go to sleep in there? You know. I do. Every chance I get, if, if there's a miracle where no one's in the ER, even if it's for 20 minutes, I do go to the back, take a quick nap, uh, and then get up and go. Yeah. <laughs> so every chance I get, uh, and you're going to laugh at this one, I was in the U.S. Army, and whenever we would get up to be at attention, they do it on purpose. they get us up at 3.30 in the morning, just stand there. I literally taught myself how to close my eyes and stand, stand asleep. <laughs> <laughs> you should write a book on that, man. That's valuable. Wow. I'd, I'd love to learn how to do something like that without breaking my skull after I, I fall back, falling asleep. Wow. That's, that's, that's pretty cool. All right. So I guess I'll try it in the future. I'll, I'll keep at the ready just a little cup of black coffee. I love black coffee. I don't drink sugar. Or cream oh, with good. it, except maybe yeah. on Sunday. Every now and then at church, when they give us coffee at church, maybe I'll do it just for funsies. But yeah, every weekday, at least two, three cups of coffee for me. But I need to have one in my truck because that's that's when it hits me when I'm driving around seeing a client or doing a recording midday. You know, waking up at three, four in the morning, it will hit me around midday, yeah. and I have to park at a you know at like the grocery store or something like that. That I'll keep well, that coffee. Well, it's interesting me. you say that yeah. because they're they're actually recommending truck drivers that are work uh, driving long long hours to pull over, take a coffee nap, and in your case, bring some coffee, take a little nap in the parking lot, and then go, and you'll yeah. feel much more refreshed. I I'm one of those. I think I've told you this before. Uh, I think I'm of the belief that coffee doesn't work on me. 
It, to me, it's just an acquired <laughs> taste. I love it. It's a routine. But to feel a jolt and energy after I take coffee, I, I don't think I, I get it. But this route, the way you say coffee nap, have it with you, drink it, go to sleep 15, 20 minutes. Let's see if you get more energy. I'd, I'd like to try that, see if, if it's real. And maybe just in my head, psychologically, I just maybe I'll feel more energy because, yeah. hey, I, I did the little trick. And when you do it, try your best to do uh, double shots of espresso. That's at least 200 milligrams of caffeine, and, and that will do it. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, it's a little, a little tart, a little strong, but I water it down just a little bit. I, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Thanks, Doc. Uh, look for his book. Uh, his new book, Dr. Harvey Castro, his new book is Chat GPT in Healthcare. Thank you, Dr. Harvey. We'll call you again. This is The Sergio Show. your day with news and interviews important to you with the Valley's morning news weekday morning starting at 6. Sergio Sanchez and Tim Sullivan bring you the latest headlines and hourly discussions with AccuWeather to get you ready for your day and special guest interviews on topics that affect you and your family. Good morning. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning, guys. Enjoy the show. It's what you need to start your day. The Valley's morning news with Sergio Sanchez and Tim Sullivan. Weekday morning starting at 6 on News Talk 710 KURV. You're listening to the best of the Sergio Show. Here's Sergio. The following story, I think, is an example of how some criminals, people who devote their life to crime, are extremely intelligent and resourceful individuals. Check this out. Ruthless scammers. They're always finding a way to steal money, and this time going after Grandma and Grandpa with AI, artificial intelligence, and technology. Let me give you an example of 73-year-old Ruth Card. Her, her, she heard what she thought was her grandson on the line, Brandon, who said he was in jail. He needed bail money, about 3000 bucks. They were, they were so afraid, she and her husband ran to their bank, which was up in Canada. This full report in the Washington Post, by the way. So they took 3000 bucks, and the manager of the bank said, hey, what are you doing? We had a very similar story Yesterday, another elderly couple came in here. They were trying to get some bail money for a family member. It was, it's a scam. They looked into it. Sure enough, it was a scam. They thought it was the voice of their grandson. Can you imagine how much time the scammers spent in maybe tapping the line? Or I, I don't know how they got the information. Where they what they tapped the line? They figured out how to change the voice to make it sound like it was their grandson to fool them to take thousands of dollars out of the bank. And good thing that they were saved. But how many people fall for this this trend? Tim Heller is a professional voice actor. And knowing the way AI and all this GPT stuff is going these days, Tim, you might be out of a job. I might be out of a job in broadcasting as these computers <laughs> are getting so smart. But uh, but again, they they it seems like these crooks they spent a lot of time perfecting their technology. Tapping technology, tapping voices. Isn't it amazing how much time these individuals spend to, to try to dupe um, grandma and grandpa, for example, in, in these stories? It is. It is, Sergio. And, you know, in the words of Taylor Swift, scammer's going to scam, 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 scam. There we go. Or that's paraphrasing, maybe. But, uh, <laughs> you know, it's the technology is there. I, as far as you and I being out of out of work as, as voice actors and voice talent and, and broadcasting and whatnot, it's uh, – 
you know, the fear is there across the community, but I, I think fear first off is, is healthy. A healthy dose of fear is important, but more importantly, it's when you feel that fear, let's, let's turn to curiosity and see where, where that fear is coming from and get curious about that technology. And, uh, you know, and I did that a couple of years ago, built my own AI voice model with, um, a reputable company, uh, that is, has recently been acquired by Veritone okay. Voices. Okay. Um, but it's important to educate yourself on, on this stuff, you know? Yeah. It, this is the dark side of where AI is going and this voice duplicating and imitating technology where scammers can use it to fleece innocent individuals. But let me focus on the industry because I know you're a professional voice actor. Um, how do folks in the industry or similar um, type of industry, or it'd be writers or authors or uh, maybe even educators or there's so many different fields that are under fire uh, because of this GPT and artificial intelligence technology. Can you imagine 10 years from now where we're going to be if it is almost, the technology is almost perfect? It still requires some human eyes to go back and see if, and edit, make sure everything was okay, but it's almost perfect. So how do you create a firewall to protect your career? Yeah, you know, and I can only speak to uh, speak to myself and, and the voiceover community and speak for myself first and foremost. But, you know, there's a National Association of Voice Actors, or NAVA, created a rider with, uh, our, with a lawyer that's prominent in the industry. He handled Bed Standing's TikTok case where her TTS model was uh, used against her knowledge for, uh, for TikTok and the development of that text-to-speech voice, uh, Robert Siglum uh, Paglia. And he... he developed this rider that really went through all of the necessary protections and verbiage to uh, protect voice actors in, in these instances where we're creating AI models of our voices to, you know, stay on top of and ahead of trends in the business. But it's, it's important to stay educated. And I think it's really important to vet your sources and vet your clients who are reaching out to you. Um, you know, I spoke on this subject a couple of years ago when I first made my AI voice model and uh, had several companies reach out to me after I spoke with BBC about it and and they wouldn't budge on some of the, the language used in, in, in these contracts and, and I cross-referenced it with uh, other resources that I had with other talent and other producers and companies that I work with around the globe and uh, it just wasn't a good fit. So it's, it's important to stick to your guns even if something seems like it's an exciting opportunity. Make sure that you really are, are protecting yourself in the long run. Creative consultant and producer, professional voice actor Tim Heller is my guest. When you say AI voice model, is that a physical effort inputting the sound, the resonance of your voice? Is, is that an effort to copyright your tone of voice, your inflection, your performance of and voice acting, how does that work this, when you say AI voice model? Right? Are you copywriting it and making sure nobody uses it? Yeah, so the company I worked with, it's, it's protected that, you know, it's in, it's in our contract that before they are to use it for any kind of monetary gain, that I have right of first refusal. So if they have a company that reaches out and says, hey, we want to use this for X product, and I don't want it to be used for X product, or I don't want my voice to say, you know, this series of words because it is still my likeness then i am protected and I, I have every right to say you know what thanks but no thanks let's move on to the next client and see what happens but that's wow. you know that's all part of all part of that rider that nava put together and uh and, and making sure you got the right people on your team that's interesting when you say likeness you're, you're talking about the actual sound of your voice is that what you're talking about Tim? 
Yeah, yeah, 100%. I mean, the the voice model that I created with Vocal ID, uh, now Veritone, is uh, it sounds like me. You you put in a series of utterances or sentences, yeah. and in this instance, it took about three three to six finished hours of audio to build out a, a an accurate sounding model, and you can you know manipulate that in an interface to produce different inflection and, and an intention behind it and a little bit of emotion, but it's, wow. it's really wild. I got to play with it. It's, it's really cool That's technology. Amazing. And I'm really glad that I had that experience because I think it's, you know, it shows, shows where technology was two years ago and, and now it's even better. And they've got voice models that can, uh, take your English voice model and make it speak Spanish. Oh. And so it's, if you're oh, looking no. at this as a, tool for your business it's really special but like like any powerful technology people are going to go out there and abuse it so it's, it's really important to really stay curious around like ruthlessly curious around this tech especially in our industry that is crazy uh, and yeah it's yeah. pretty wild it's, it's cool stuff that's going on yeah to the, the the tenor the frequency of a specific voice uh, tim heller voice actor he has been cemented recorded and permanently cemented his unique frequency and tenor of voice uh and they can and it cannot be used without permission in uh, voice acting commercials or anything else that that's just amazing yeah it's it's what you need to do these days because here we go we got gpt yeah. technology and ai and yeah we're, and the thing is yeah. too sergio that you know like our our jobs as humans in in the voice world and broadcast world are never going to go away it's hard to program a computer to have real human emotion. It'll get there eventually, I'm sure, to simulate it. But to have that real nuance that, that humans have, I think we're going to be living alongside all of the new technology for a long time to come. Tim, it's a pleasure. You be safe. We'll call you again, brother. Take care. All right. Thank you so much, Sergio. This is The Sergio Show. It's called the Restrict Act. It would give the White House, the executive branch, sweeping new powers to ban or restrict communications or tech products from China. Sounds like a good idea, right? Well, no, take a step back. Take a look at what some of these lawmakers write up up in D.C. Sometimes, you know, some of the stuff boom, will boomerang on you. James Chernowski, he's a tech pro over at Americans for Prosperity, AFP. James, what do you know about this? proposal, this um, restrict act to, to ban Chinese technology, including, I would imagine, TikTok and other stuff. Yeah, thanks for having me. And I think that the restrict act, kind of as you, you highlighted in the outset, sounds like a nice idea in theory, but uh, like most things in Washington, there's a little bit more than what meets the eye. Yeah. Um, it's, not, it's not just about China. Um, you know, it, it goes to any adversarial uh, nation that's being designated. Uh, by the Commerce Secretary. Um, so that's China, Iran, uh, a couple of other nations that are included on that list. Um, and again, it's it's much broader than telecommunications, uh, or rather the social media app in and of itself. Um, it can go and extend to telecommunications, potentially cryptocurrency, depending on how you want to interpret it. It's very, very broad language that we're seeing in here. And again, it's not like there's congressional approval of any of this. We're just designating it to the Commerce Secretary, and and you know Congress could, in theory, override that with a CRA. But again, it's just like we're putting a lot of authority into the the executive branch here, and and it can have some really chilling effects. 
um, if we were to just let something like this happen. And again, kind of like what, what I'm saying here is just that I, I understand it. I think that, you know, it's completely understandable to want to have some uh, conversations over the valid concerns about that app like TikTok and, yeah. and some of these Chinese apps that are out there. But um, this this particular piece of legislation, it just does not meet the moment. It's kind of missing the mark and misreading the room. Right now in Congress, we're seeing a movement to try to actually rein in unaccountable bureaucrats in the executive agency, huh. uh, particularly within the Intel community, right? Yeah. And this this is actually trying to empower it. So kind of, you know, it's, it's something that just does not make sense whatsoever. Yeah, we're all running to the door to try to shut it and make sure China and TikTok don't get in there and take more information and get uh, global positioning uh, on our employees at the federal level and state level, all those things. And, you know, TikTok, it, that's... That's the battle cry right now, but be careful giving too much power. It reminds me of the war powers. Uh, with Americans for Prosperity, James Chernowski, he's a tech expert with AFP. It's like war powers, giving the executive branch way too much power to just go go to war. It's like, how do you – in in your mind, James, maybe you and colleagues up in D.C., how can we best address this insidious new threat it's a reality. It's you know, China. We we don't have access to their servers. They're over there in China somewhere. We can't have access to their to their pathogens laboratories. We definitely can't get access to this corporation that is beholden to the communist Chinese and the servers are over there and all our information over there. And we willfully surrendered 150 some odd million Americans. All these mental children that have just surrendered everything to them. But it is a threat, a, a, a propaganda threat. Uh, Iran, China, Russia, North Korea. How can we best firewall against the new age, the new technology, and the threat of propaganda, anti-Americanism, and even worse, maybe getting through global positioning and maybe connection of of more devices? You know, shut down electric grids and other things like that with this technology that is growing exponentially and, and could be used by a nefarious state. Yeah, I, I think it starts by not going and giving the government the equivalent of digital war powers. I kind of like your reference to the war powers because yeah. Congress actually just repealed the AUMF war powers that were granted uh, all those years ago that were given to the executive branch. So that was actually a nice thing to see from Congress there. But when we're talking about uh, this issue, it's not granting them those kinds of new sweeping powers. It's about dealing with the actual underlying issues that we're worried about with TikTok. So. For example, if you're worried about the privacy implications about TikTok, it is it is technically speaking an American company, um, and it is subject to American law. So that's a consumer data privacy issue. So we need to pass a federal consumer data privacy law that applies to not just TikTok, but to every single U.S. tech company. Because the reality is, as Senator Rand Paul kind of highlighted when he was talking about this on the floor, it's not exclusive to TikTok, some of these data practices that are there. It, it extends to the entire industry, more broadly speaking. And you don't want to just call out one company when the reality is that everybody's kind of engaging in some of those practices. So yeah. that's the first step is, is a consumer data privacy bill that goes and deals with the privacy concerns. When we're dealing with the surveillance concerns, I think that, again, that's really bad. And the best way that we can go and deal with that, too, is by dealing with the United States surveillance concerns that we have here. We have to lead by example. We have to go and do our part to hold the intelligence community that has been otherwise up to this point unaccountable uh, to their abuses of surveillance powers over Americans uh, that we've learned about over the years, uh, including the FBI buying, purchasing uh, location data on Americans. 
Uh, I think that we have to go and do that and lead by example, because if we empower our company to be able to tell the government no on legal grounds, then they can go and do that to foreign requests as well a lot more readily and easily. And then third, uh, what's also most important is doing an educational campaign in terms of educating consumers about some of the privacy risks that are there with TikTok. So, and I think that young voters are actually quite aware of this. So while they like the app, so. they're, they're also worried about privacy. Yeah. Well, that I would, I would believe, but, uh, yeah, with 150 million plus, uh, I don't know, man, but all great ideas. James, thank you. And, um, as we had Radio Free Europe and Russia at one time, maybe we can create something similar to get our liberty propaganda to those communist minds eventually. He's a senior tech pro at Americans for Prosperity, James Trinowski. This is The Sergio Show. Talk 710 KURV. When news breaks, we break in. Break in. Breaking news. Stay alert and listen to the weather forecast. We need to be aware and alert to what's going on. Breaking news means it's happening now. And we mean now. Breaking news underway right now. Breaking news. On News Talk 710 KURV means we're bringing you the news as it happens. We have a multiple In this particular instance, we are in receipt of information. When news breaks, we'll break in. Count on News Talk 710 KURV. You're listening to the best of the Sergio Show. Here's Sergio. It's called HB 3846. Lawmakers up in Austin working to pass this bill that would again push employers in Texas to use E-Verify and make sure that they are hiring U.S. citizens at, at the job floor. James Massa, CEO of Numbers USA. You making the phone calls, Jim? You calling Austin, making sure these lawmakers push this thing forward and implement it, put it on the ground and at work sites all over Texas? Well, we're very much involved with making sure that the representatives are aware that the public of and the voters of Texas want E-Verify. How does E-Verify work, Jim? E-Verify is a system that's a national system. It's currently voluntary. And last year, over 48 million new hires in the United States were hired using the E-Verify system. Instead of providing just an I-9 in your documentation as to your Social Security number or your other valid work permit, you provide that information. It's easily put into the E-Verify system, and you get an electronic acknowledgement that it is a valid work permit or it is a valid social security number. Therefore, it eliminates the need for the employer to be a documents expert or have to deal with false documentation that's given to them. So it absolutely is an effective system that allows the employer to know the person they're hiring has the right to work here in the United States. These lawmakers working on this, what you told me, HB 3846 up in Austin, this go around, what is in there? What type of punitive action is in there suggested in the event that some employers, they don't use E-Verify and they onboard, you know, they hire illegals? Well, currently the uh, law that's being presented has a handful of things that are basically tax related for the impact uh, to an employer who has hired someone who doesn't have a valid work permit. They're actually going to probably massage that as it goes through the process uh, as the committee looks at it and determines what's the best way to implement the enforcement of it. 
But the important part of it is that it is a mandatory requirement. Today, Texas has E-Verify for all state agencies and all state contractors. It just has never put it down into the private sector where most of the abuse occurs. Okay. Give me an example. In the private sector, somebody on boards, a bunch of illegal immigrants, they don't use E-Verify because, again, it's voluntary. But if it's mandatory in Texas and they don't do it, give me an example how financially painful it might be for them. Or maybe they don't get licenses from the state of Texas. What happens? Well, Texas is one of the states that doesn't always offer licenses at the state level. A lot of the state, a lot of the licensing in the state of Texas is at the local level. And so this bill and other bills that are coming through would want this to be pushed down into the local level as well so that the business license could be in jeopardy. Usually it's a two-strike or a three-strike scenario in other states that effectively implemented E-Verify. The other is is that if they do use a tax consequence, basically all the deductions that an employer has for uh, the expenses that they write off for the employment of a given person uh, would be taken away and there'd be a penalty on top of that. And again, those details are being worked out right now, but those are the types of tools that are in an effective E-Verify bill. My guest is James Masson. He's CEO, Numbers USA, watching an effort in Austin, again, to push E-Verify for employers in Texas, make it mandatory. Okay. Do you have any idea, James, how many employers in Texas, private sector employers, are using E-Verify? A quarter, half? you have any idea? You know, we did some analysis of that, and it's, it's a little bit hard to tell because many of the organizations, you can go to the national website and you can look at any of the thousands of employers who are currently using it, but it might be the parent company, not the not the uh, subsidiary company. So it's a little hard to tell of the companies in uh, Texas today that are actually using E-Verify. We estimate it's about 40%. And again, we do know that all the state mm-hmm. agencies and all of the uh, all of the contractors for the state agencies are using it. And why are the other let's say roughly 60% of private sector companies, what's the excuse? Why are they not using it? Is it that they're hiring illegal immigrants or they're small businesses and it's just too much too much work for them, just another thing that they don't want to do? Well, you know, it's, it's really not too much work for anybody. Uh, it, it is a browser. You log in, you put in the person's ID number, and that is it. It tells you instantaneously what, what the uh, result is. Uh, and, you know, the, the satisfaction of businesses who use it is extremely high. Well over 90% of them are very satisfied with it, and they over 95% recommend the use to others. But as far as why someone would not, you know, one of the things that you would suspect is, is that they are uh, taking advantage of the illegal workforce that's available to them in the state of Texas. It's taking jobs away from U.S. citizens in the state of Texas. So that is one of the downsides of those who do not use it. Uh, the concern about it being an administrative burden or anything along those lines is really just because they're not familiar with it. It is it is as easy to use as logging onto your browser and checking your mail. All right, Jim. So what's next? Uh, is it in committee? Who's sponsoring this? Any suggestions for any business owners or anybody else yes. willing to call lawmakers? Well, the, uh, the representative uh, Tote is actually who has this particular bill uh, uh, sponsored, and it's going into the State Affairs Committee – and the State Affairs Committee Chairman is a Representative Hunter. So what we really want to see is Representative Hunter take this thing in and actually 
uh, get it through committee and out to the floor from the House of Representatives. There, there's a counterpart bill going through the Senate right now, and that counterpart bill is uh, with Senator, oh, I want to say the name, Cole, Cole, Cole Watch, I'll, I'll get her name. I'm so sorry, I can't rattle it off my tongue. Okay. Uh, Lois Colehurst. So she okay. has a companion yeah, bill in the Senate, yeah. but, uh, but we see that uh, it's really going to be in, in the hands of, of uh, Representative Hunter in the house right now sure well i got thank god for the four years volunteering as as chairman um a few years back here for the gop i got his number i'll text that dude i'll text him hey todd wake up Vato. wake up well, you know we pay attention to this yeah yeah it's i i would think one thing to make people really aware of is is that uh 79 of the population that was surveyed on the exit polls of the most recent midterm elections in want to have mandatory e-verify and even the hispanic voters which are a large contingent in your area 73 percent of the hispanic of voters of favor course. mandatory e-verify yeah yeah americans of all color stripe americans uh, um yeah we want legal immigration to benefit our country not this chaos this the killings and the murderous chaos that we have right now taking place on the border that's enriching the cartels this is ridiculous and we need to, yes, that's a magnet. All these jobs, the illegal immigrants taking jobs and the new slave class in our country, because they're being, they're not being paid minimum wage by some of these employers, much less than that. No, they're, no, they're not. The, the work conditions for those people who don't have the benefit of having this valid work permits and being U.S. citizens yes. it are, are very negative. And so you want to, and, and it's even as you may have seen in some uh, national uh, newspapers, there's a, a child labor scenario that's going on with that as well, because yep. they're able to get away with, you know, underage workforce and the like, which was totally unacceptable. Yeah, right? unacceptable. Yeah. Well, thank you, Jim. And uh, keep us posted, see where this thing goes. And again, call Todd Hunter uh, over uh, at the legislature and give him a, a heads up and tell him to pay attention to this, push this forward. On behalf of Numbers USA, uh, CEO James Masson. Thanks, Jim. This is The Sergio Show.